Welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise Podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. So yesterday, Saturday, and Friday, I was up in Rock Springs, Texas, being the captain of an aid station called Hub for the J&J Trail Race and Running Reunion. And it was... It's always a lot of fun. I think this is the fourth year for it, and it honors Joe and Joyce Crusadis, the founders of Tejas Trails, and it features a 100K, 50-mile, 50K, 25K, and 10K, and yours truly ran the 10K, mainly because I was kind of busy with the aid station, and by some stroke of weird luck, I ended up taking first in females masters. Don't get excited. My time was not that great. But it's kind of a cool feeling to pick up a this cool award that's made out of metal and it's painted red and it looks like a uh, windmill wheel and which is one of the big features at this ranch so or this site. And um, anyway, the reason I'm bringing all this up is yes, it was fun and got to unite my friends from the Rio Grande Valley with people from. San Antonio area that uh, are in you know or, or that I'm now part of that group and I really don't like to forget my family in the Rio Grande Valley because I still feel very connected to them and I feel like that an aid station is there to serve the runners and it's not just something to represent one particular group and so that's sort of my philosophy behind that, if I can do it. And uh, yeah, and it, I like to throw parties. And um, it's funny because I'm really weird about going to parties because I, I, t- I know this is really hard to imagine, but I tend to be kind of an introvert in that I don't mingle real well and I'm really terrible at small talk. And I just will end up being the guy who's over in the corner talking to my three friends for the whole evening. But if I'm throwing a party... And I like to think of an aid station as sort of a party. I like to bring people together with common interests. And that's basically what this turned into. So it was just really, really fun. And I got to make some new friends and, you know, integrate my my older friends with them. And yeah, so I think we all came away with a really great experience. So there was that. The other thing, and this is leading into today's podcast, is that I watched a lot of people achieve some pretty incredible goals yesterday. Um, Some people were tackling their very first trail race. There's a person who (laughs) decided that, hey, let's do a 50-mile trail race as our first trail race. And let me just tell you, in my opinion, the trails at Camp Eagle, while very beautiful, are incredibly rocky, and it's got a lot of elevation and they're very technical and for anyone crazy enough to tackle a 50 mile or much less make it their first trail race and finish it was really something to marvel at and so it was really cool to watch people you know achieve their goals there was one guy he was doing the 50 miler and it was his first 50 and he was sitting in one of our chairs he was contemplating quitting because he was I forget how many I think about like 13 or 14 miles into his second loop of three and he was like I'm just gonna quit and he only had like eight miles left before he'd finished the loop so I just kind of talked to him a little bit and said look just go out there and 
do this, you know, at least finish your second loop and then drop. Don't quit ahead of time. And somehow or another, must have been something I said to him, it clicked in his head and I watched him take off and it was a sight to behold. And when he came back through finishing his second loop, we gave him cowbell and applause and and then he did drop because, uh, well, I think he missed a cutoff. But suffice it to say, it's really exciting to to be able to encourage people to achieve goals and and push them past where they think they can go. Um, And I'm always grateful to people that can do it for me, although I tend to be a little more (laughs) hard-headed. Sometimes I'm just like, no, I'm just going to quit. Leave me alone. But sometimes, you know, you need that encouragement. And so that that was kind of exciting. So today's episode is in two parts, and it is about my odyssey toward reaching that elusive goal of the 50 miler. And it features the shortest DNF probably in history. Well, I don't know about that, but at least in my history. And uh, meeting some incredible characters along the way. And then, spoiler alert, I finally achieved my goal. So let's get into it. So this was October of 2015. And um, this took place at Cactus Rose, which is probably one of the (laughs) why on earth I let my friends talk me into doing Cactus Rose 50 miler as my first was was probably a really bad idea because it is a self-supported 50 miler or 100 miler. It's held out at Hill Country State Natural Area, which is outside of Bandera. And it's just this, it's kind of like Camp Eagle, only maybe not quite as gnarly, but it's still pretty gnarly. And yeah, so, but Nonetheless, I kind of got conned into it by my friends. So anyway, here we go. So I was two and a half miles into my 50-mile trail race when my foot slid on a wet rock and I took a fall. I wasn't particularly worried. You know, I fall all the time. And I was descending from Lucky Peak, this nasty climb that features roughly 1,800 feet of elevation and a lot of loose rock. And in the 5 a.m. darkness, I clearly missed some of that loose rock and landed on my left knee. And then I noticed that a squarish flap of skin was hanging there below my kneecap. I pointed the hose from a hydration pack at the bleeding wound and tried to clean it. And then I just tried to keep running for a short while. I figured I'd get it patched up at the aid station a couple of miles away and that would be that. Three headlamps approached me from behind and I stepped aside to let them pass. Are you okay? Someone asked. And I explained what had happened, and then one of the trio, this slight wiry woman, stopped and shone her headlamp at the knee. You're probably going to need stitches, she said matter-of-factly. And at the time, I hadn't really considered that this might be more serious than my usual trail spills. And she insisted on walking with me to the aid station. Penny Lane, my new guardian, is a veteran trail runner. She's about my age. And I recognized her name from poring over the results of previous trail races. And of course, her name stuck out because it's also the name of a Beatles song. And we talked about our trail running and other things as we tromped through the darkness. And I thought it was really kind of her to stop and walk with me. She was doing the 50 miler as a sort of lark because she was pacing a friend who was doing the 100 miler later on. And her plan was to do 125 mile loop and then wait until her pacing duties started and then finish her second loop. And once we arrived at the aid station, Julie, one of the volunteers, said she'd drive me the mile or so to the medics area at the starting line. And I bid Penny farewell, thanked her, and climbed into Julie's vehicle. And since it was ridiculously early in the race, I planned to return to the course once I was patched up. I mean, I had 36 hours to finish. 
And Becky Spaulding, the nurse on duty, sat me in a chair and went to work on cleaning the wound. Meanwhile, a handful of ladies swarmed me and helped me off with my pack and suggested that I find something warmer to wear as it was beginning to steadily rain. And luckily, I'd brought my duffel bag to the start-finish line, which contained what few items of clothing I'd packed for the race. I shimmied out of my shirt and put on a dry t-shirt. Becky said I was probably going to need stitches. And at some point during all of this, I started to cry. I was upset that I'd hurt myself and would probably not be able to return to the race and generally felt like an idiot for being so uncoordinated. The ladies soothed me while race officials debated where the nearest ER was. ER? Oh, hell. And then I imagined that there was some sort of clinic in Bandera just a few miles away where I could be helped. Nah, this is hill country where the livestock sometimes outnumber the residents in these towns. Race director Chris McWaters, this tall, lanky young guy with an easy smile, figured the ER and Bernie would be my best bet. And of course, this was 45 minutes away. I had no vehicle, and all of, almost all of my travel companions were in the race. And I tried texting Norma, who was pacing orally later on his 100-miler, uh, but cell phone service up there is really spotty. So it was decided that John Sharp, one of the volunteers, would be the lucky guy for the job. Sharp, I soon discovered, was a bit of a madman who talks faster and more than me. He was perfect for the job. I liked him immediately because he used fuck with wild abandon. And as an ex-journalist, this happens to be one of my favorite expletives. And I was impressed because he drives a stick shift, which is my preferred mode of transmission. As we headed into Bandera, he asked if I wanted to stop first for coffee. Sure, why not? So we stepped into this nice local coffee shop where I tracked mud all over their nice clean floors and ordered a coffee with milk, nothing fancy. Sharp ordered a multi-shot espresso. Oh boy. The guy behind the counter was astonished that anyone would be running any kind of race in the rain that was predicted. Once caffeinated, we headed south to Bernie. It was around 7.30, 8 o'clock, but the skies were dark and gloomy as they were at 5. Rain poured. And then we got to the Methodist Hospital a while later, and as expected, no one was there. And a guy behind the front desk asked why I was there, and then I noticed that I tracked more mud into the reception area, and he got me a wheelchair. Sharp took my shoes and put them in his car trunk. A nurse hooked me up to a couple of monitors and noted that I had a runner's pulse, meaning that my heart rate was especially low. Nothing to worry about. Sharp appeared in the doorway and snapped a photo of me with his phone. The nurse snapped back at him, saying photos were not allowed in the room, and she pointed at a sign. I giggled. The nurses were a little confused by his presence. Is he your husband? Oh, no, I, I just met this guy. And they gave me an odd expression. Hey, I figure, if someone can listen to me tell the nurse the date of my last menstrual period and other personal details, he may as well be allowed to stay in the room with me. And the doctor came in and assessed the situation, and after cleaning the wound, he gave the knee a few shots of something to numb it, and then I watched in horrified fascination as he gave me four stitches. This was the first. $150 later, I was done. The doctor sternly advised me against returning to the race. And I sort of resigned myself to not going back even though I wanted to. I had 45 miles left, and the weather was becoming like a tropical storm. And given my propensity for falling, I figured I should probably heed his advice. I already had a backup plan. After the ER, Sharp wheeled into the Bernie Starbucks drive-thru, and we had another round of caffeine. My phone rang. It was my sister. 
My nine-year-old nephew was incredibly upset and worried that Aunt Nina was in the hospital. I'm going to do the race next month. Remember the one with the rabbit medal? And there it was. I decided that I would do the Wild Hair 50-miler on November 21st. The course is nowhere near as gnarly as Cactus Rose, and I would still be conditioned enough to do it without having to go back into training. And this race is particularly special because in 2012, I DNF'd the 25K after camping in 36-degree weather. And I conquered it the following year and gave Andrew my finisher's medal. And he gave me one of his gymnastics medals. And then last year, I did my first 50K there. I figured the third time there will be the charm. This will be continued. So here we are a month later at Wild Hair. You're going to make it after all. I was 44 and a half miles and 13 plus hours in when my Ambit's battery died. It may as well have been an extension of how I felt at that point. Everything hurt. I was exhausted, cranky, and kept fantasizing about sleeping. And there were only five and a half miles left, but it may as well have been another 50. And just ahead, on the trail and in the darkness, I heard a perky voice. Come on, Donna, Amelia shouted. We have to run or you won't make the cutoff. Okay, I'm trying. My voice sounded very small and weary like a whiny child. Millie, my pacer, a.k.a. my mental Sherpa, was leading me on a power walk, which in my case was more of a sluggish hike. I needed to finish the 50 miles before 8 p.m., and I was confident I could make it, but my up-until-now steady pace was slowing. Come on, Paz, I told myself. Get this done. Go! It took me the better part of a year to prepare for running a 50-mile race. It was a road paved with determination, discouragement, and disaster. And after slicing open my knee during a fall at Cactus Rose the month before, my hopes of reaching that goal were dashed. And although I'd quit races before, this one humiliated and haunted me for a week or so after. I was overly sensitive about my decision to quit, especially when others said that they would have at least gone out and tried to finish. Eventually, I shook it off and just signed up for the next 50-mile race, the Wild Hair. It was a familiar, reasonably easy course compared to Cactus Rose, and I figured, hey, 50 miles is 50 miles regardless. I was game. And the Tuesday before the race, while socializing at an awkward singles mixer for runners in my area, I happened upon Millie, who's a good acquaintance. She's strong-willed, soft-spoken, and very smart. And she's also a really good runner. She finished in the top 10 women at last year's McAllen Marathon. And we got to talking about my upcoming race, and I lamented that my friends were going to be gone by the time I got there because they were only doing the 25K. I'll have no one cheering for me at the finish, I said. And then she surprised me when she said she liked to go and hang out. She had some days off coming from her teaching job and figured this would be a good way to use one of them. And then the next day, I had an idea. I asked her if she wouldn't mind pacing me after 2 p.m. on race day. I figured I'd give her a taste of the trail racing thing, and she could help me mentally when I was nearing the end of the race, and she agreed. The weather was humid and slightly warm as the 50-mile runners gathered inside the horse barn at Bluff Creek Ranch just before 5 a.m., and what I found particularly striking is that a number of them are average-looking people like me. Many of them were gray-haired and not particularly elite-looking, as one might expect. People wore massive hokas and camelbacks to others sporting a handheld and a pair of Mexican oraches. What's cool about ultras, I've discovered, is speed isn't necessarily the key, it's really endurance. 
And obviously, you need to travel fast enough to beat the course cutoff, but you don't need to be a six-minute miler either. McWaters counted us down from 10, and we all set out on the course. The first loop was 11.3 miles. We ran the first three and a half miles twice, and then ran the remaining loop of 4.3. And I let many people pass me, and I really didn't mind. I just wanted to keep a steady pace and not burn out. Spits of rain came down in the pre-dawn darkness, making things cooler but very humid. I finished the first loop and a half in 2.49 and felt good. Things were fairly routine on subsequent loops, well, except for the mud holes that were created from the rain uh, earlier in the week. You had no idea of depth perception, so you'd gingerly step into the cowpoo-laced water and feel okay as it encircled your ankles, and then sadly the depth changed as it slipped knee-deep. I don't think my feet were dry the entire race. And then a wildly windy cold front swept through mid-morning, making running through the open sections a challenge. Mercifully, no rain came with the front, and in time, the skies changed from foreboding gray to bright blue. The winds continued, making the temperatures cool, but I took that as a blessing. And then I employed my iPod to help me through the second loop. The playlist began with my latest power song, It's My Life by Bon Jovi, and I sang along as I ran through the woods, hoping nobody would hear me. And then sweat or something causing the player to repeat songs in a mechanical woman's voice began reciting the names of my playlist. <sighs> Annoyed, I snapped it off. And around this time, I ran into a young woman named Liz, who was also doing the 50-miler. And I was surprised to find that there were still people out there at my pace. So we hung around for a little while, chatting, and then I continued on. And I told her if she was around when I got my pace, or she was welcome to join us. Orly, who was there to see his wife Kathy do the 50K, seemed to materialize out of nowhere as I neared the end of my third loop. Donna! His voice boomed as I ran through the camping area. He snapped photos of me and ran alongside as I came in, and it felt nice to have that moral support. And I took advantage of his expertise and had him fetch me some Coke, refill my water bottles, and grab me some snacks while I changed out of my socks. And I wasn't trying to linger too much, but it was nice to see him, Kathy, and their daughter, Zara, who was concerned about me running 50 miles. Do you want to quit? She asked. No, I replied. I'm finishing this. And then, knowing I was probably spending too much time socializing, Orly ordered, come on, get back out there. Eat while you run. And I haven't exactly perfected the art of eating and running, especially without the subsequent choking problem. So I walked over the cattle guard and through the chute until I finished a square of peanut butter and jelly. And then I was back at the now familiar parts of the course, the little up and down hills, the flat leading into the trails that twisted and turned for three miles until the aid station. Once past the aid station, you'd head through another patch of open pasture into what I called the gnarly part of the course, these long loping elevated stretches that wound down into a descending zigzag. And on one of these descents, I ran into a guy. Bruce was standing next to a tree looking down. Do you see that? He asked. And I looked, and I saw a pile of tree bark, and I assumed that he grabbed too much tree bark, and it fell off. Oh, it was worse. Much worse. That scared. He paused, unsure if he wanted to curse in front of a woman, but continued, the shit out of me. I looked again and saw a small gray snake with black markings slithering around below. Bruce put his hand on the tree to stabilize himself on the downhill and then right atop the snake, which had been climbing the tree. Snakes scare the bejesus out of me. I screamed, and then he grabbed a stick and got underneath the snake and flung it into the brush. I screamed again, because I could. 
It was particularly odd to see a snake this time of year because I'd never seen one at this place the previous three years, and I made sure to look twice before putting my hand on a tree from now on. And then when I started my fifth loop, I was greeted by Millie and our friend Marisol, who was there with her boyfriend and kids. Marisol handed me a cup of coffee and gave me a hug. It's been a while since I'd seen her, and it was as if no time had passed, and I was so grateful for the warmth and caffeine. She snapped a photo of me and Millie, and then we were on our way. The fifth loop went pretty well, mainly because it was still daylight and I could sort of play tour guide on the course. And surprisingly, I was still running, but it was hurting. Millie stayed ahead of me and chatted away. Sometimes I couldn't hear her because of the wind and sometimes because I was just exhausted. And she encouraged me to think of a mantra. And the only thing that came to mind was Helen Reddy's song, I am woman, I am strong, I am invincible, I am woman. And when we got in, I gave a thumbs up to McWaters and told him I was going out one more time. And I asked if there were still people behind me, and he said there were. I was a little surprised, but heartened. You can stay here till 6, get to the aid station by 7, and finish by 8. You've got plenty of time, he said. It was 5.30 p.m., and I had no intention of hanging out, pushing my luck. And I knew we need to get back because daylight was dwindling. And then the enormity of all of this was starting to hit me. I was going to do this. And I started to cry, overcome with emotion. I'm sure people thought I was sad, but there were pretty much tears of joy mixed with some pain. Millie and I headed back out, and I was really starting to hurt, and we hiked for the first three or so miles. Millie, coached ahead of time by Orly, who knows me all too well, stopped babying me. She had to, or we wouldn't have made it. She said we had to run, and at one point mentioned how the people behind me might pass me. And that was the only time I got peeved with her. I'm trying. My voice came out tiny and crabby. I didn't want to be passed, but I just wasn't sure if I'd be able to move any faster. But I did, and I went into zombie mode, running and trying not to think too much. I knew what she was doing. She was trying to get me in well ahead of the cutoff. Where's the damn campground, I thought irritably as we made our final pass through the last part of the course. I just wanted it to be over. Here's the lake, Millie shouted with excitement. We were about a mile from the end. I started getting excited. My friend Bill Uton, who'd already finished the 50-miler, was camping nearby. And when he saw our headlamps, he yelled, Go, Donna! The best part was finally getting out of the woods and into the clearing and then seeing the barn. There were two lines of people from the San Antonio rock hoppers on either side of the trail. Good job, runner! Go! It was just what I needed to propel me through the barn and tag the mat one last time. I spotted the clock. 1440.59. I jumped on it just as it turned to 1441. I beat the cutoff by 19 minutes. I was delirious and happy. A guy put a finisher's medal around my neck, and I turned and saw Millie coming through. And I hugged her and thanked her for her help, because I wouldn't have made it without her. I happily took a warm shower near the house. And when I came out, Millie said Liz was in the shower room next to me. And I was so excited that she'd finished. I spotted McWaters. I did it! He gave me a hug and congratulated me. Later, I saw Liz after her shower. We exchanged congratulations and hugs. And without a doubt, this was one of my life's biggest accomplishments. And yeah, since then, I've done one other 50-miler. And I'm seriously considering the Brazos Bend 50-miler at, uh, at the beginning of December. And... Um, yeah, I think I just need to get through that part. It seems like I, I hit a part in 50 milers where I get around mile 42 and I just start getting tired and I just want to sleep. 
and I'm really hoping I can I'm, my goal is to somehow get a 13 hour uh, 50 miler and so far I have not been able to do that um, I mean my first one I didn't really care it was just gonna be a PR and then my one that I did in December this past year um, I beat that by I think about nine minutes which is an incredibly stellar but as I've mentioned in a earlier podcast that it was really muddy and wet and yeah so it was just kind of bleh. so we we will see that's what I've got for this week until next time see you then